Well, Psalm 9, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. To the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on, your th- on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Psalm 9, the Lord gives us another psalm of David. And this psalm is one of lament, which doesn't appear to be a lament, at the beginning, as we find that it begins with praise and thanksgiving. However, in verse 13, David turns to the Lord and lament with his petitions, and we'll consider that next week, Lord willing. And thus, that's why this psalm is uh, categorized and grouped accordingly. Now, what instructions did David give to the chief musician as he opens up this psalm here? The choir master or the chief musician was to orchestrate this song to the tune of Death of a Son, or in Hebrew, Muth Laban. Now, some of you may hear that title and think, wow, pastor, what a title to a song, Death of a Son. Now, some scholars have tried to associate the title with the context of the death of David's son, Absalom or maybe Nabal, or a man named Laban, or possibly a middleman, a man who came between two armies like Goliath. However, none of these really suit the design and content of the psalm. And so it seems to be literally describing the tune for the psalm. But further know that the background of this psalm is David triumphing in the defeat of the Philistines, along with other neighboring nations who were against his taking the throne. and But yet he conquered them in the beginning of his reign. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 5. You can turn with me there if you'd like. 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. We read there, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, 
but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, notice verse 7, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Now this background is very timely, is it not? Even considering our Sunday school lesson today in the Davidic covenant. Right, we see the greatness that God made David. And we see here what? That even their words, right? You, you can't come in here and why? Even the blind and the lame are going to repel you. Those who are the weakest, those who have really no ability to fight, right? Those who have no ability to defend, even them, they are going to be successful in keeping you out. But that wasn't the case. Because the Lord had other plans. The Lord was with David. And so David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Therefore, considering this, David was then resolved to praise his covenant Lord for executing judgment on his enemies. So let's consider these very words of praise here in verses 1 and 2. Let's also consider divine judgment done in verses 3 through 5, as well as divine judgment ahead in verses 6 through 8. And watch out, we're going into a fourth bullet point here, very, very challenging, as well as the Lord being our refuge in verses 9 and 10. And so look at how he begins 1a. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And so, whereas in Psalm 7, 17, David praised God according to his divine righteousness, and in Psalm 8, 1, he praised him considering, what, the excellence of his name. See that David telling his Lord about the depth and breadth of his praise here is very remarkable. It was given with his whole heart. Wholehearted praise, beloved, isn't half-hearted. It won't happen if it's loveless either. It doesn't go forth with some reservation, but rather it must be fueled by love and thankfulness. If we truly love the Lord, if we're truly thankful, and we have much gratitude in our hearts, knowing who He is and knowing all that He has done, then that even further aids wholehearted praise. We're not holding back. We, we don't have any reservation about what we are going to give because we can't give enough. I mean, it, it's coming from all of us, from, from our very being. We, we can't but praise and totally praise the Lord. That's what David was describing here in his own heart. 
It's completely sincere. It comes from an affectionate and united heart, not a divided one. You know, this verse isn't the only place where we are taught about such wholehearted praise. Notice the context praise is given in Psalm 111, verse 1, where we read, Praise the Lord! I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, where? In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Beloved, God desires sincere, united praise, not only within our own hearts, like David, but in and amongst his people, as the church. This is to be offered in corporate worship. This is what we do. And this is one of those reasons why when we come together as a body, we must desire that. Even in the prayer of invocation and and other prayers, even in our thoughts as we prepare our hearts for worship, we need to be thinking about and saying these things about, Lord, help me get those distractions out of the way. Why? So that I can give you all of the wholehearted praise that you deserve and the glory that is rightfully yours. Scripture also teaches us that he desires wholehearted obedience in seeking him. In Psalm 119, we see this quite often. Psalm 119 is a great psalm for study. It's a lengthy psalm for study. Each section begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119, verse 2 says this, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Later in Psalm 119, 34, the plea, the request goes forth, give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Hear that. We need the Lord's work here. Not only do we need the Lord's work for wholehearted praise, but we also need the Lord's work for wholehearted obedience, for wholehearted seeking, for wholehearted law-keeping. We love His law, and we want to observe His law, but we know that we can't without His help and without His work within us, without His grace. We desire to do what is well-pleasing to Him in that amongst all else. But God also requires wholehearted repentance, doesn't he? In Jeremiah 3, verse 10, we read this, And yet, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Wasn't a wholehearted turning, that's a problem. Similarly, the Lord teaches us about sincerity from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 13, we read there, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. They don't know the fear of the Lord. Their obedience has been twisted and geared by the commandments of men and the doctrines of men. 
They say many things with their lips, but it's not from their hearts. Beloved, we need to examine our own hearts. Is this how you praise and worship your Lord? Are your lips moving, but your heart is not in line and in sync with what's coming out of your mouth? Are the words coming out of your mouth, but they're not truly what you are thinking? They're not truly where your desire is. They're not coming from the true depth of your heart. They should be, beloved. This is a struggle for all of us. This is a challenge for all of us. Wholehearted praise. Wholehearted obedience. Wholehearted anything. And yet the Lord calls us to do this, and he will equip us to do this as his spirit works in us. And so what would David do from his heart of praise in Psalm 9 in the second half of verse 1? He said, I will tell of all your marvelous works. (laughs) David would tell or he would literally recount and he would declare, notice, all of his marvelous works. Wonderful adjective. (laughs) Your works are so great, O Lord. Your works demand praise. (laughs) You demand praise because of all that you've done and all that you are. And I'm not just going to keep them to myself. I can't but tell them to others. I will tell of all your marvelous works from this wholehearted praise place. These marvelous works would be God's great acts in history, such as his great works of intervention and and in redemption and calling and rescuing his people out of Egypt. We could add many other things to that list, even the things that would have been in David's thoughts and in his attention. In Psalm 96, verse 3, the psalmist says that he would, quote, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Beloved, God has done great, mighty, even miraculous things that are worthy of both praise and proclamation. This is what we see here in verse 1. Wholehearted praise. Passionate proclamation. And in verse 2, he says what? He says, "I I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. There is none higher than you. There is none greater than you. There is none more majestic than you. You are the living God. I will sing praises to your name. And I want you to note what he says there in regards to his name, because David talks a lot about names in this psalm, and that's important. But he would be glad. There would be joy in his heart. Joy that was a a fruit of the Lord's work. Joy that was a fruit of his grace. Joy that was also behind and undergirding his praise and in his praise, coming out of his mouth, rejoicing in him, notice. In him, not in anybody else, but in him. He would 
praise the name of the Most High. David had all the reason in the world, beloved, to have joy and gladness in his heart. And to have joy and gladness in his heart for the Lord, and that would come out of his mouth considering the marvelous Lord who does marvelous things, and specifically for David to help him, to defend him, and to save him. Look at verses 3 through 5 where he goes on to speak and he goes back to this subject of judgment. He says in verse 3, When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. Again, remember, he's speaking to the Most High here. As David marvels at the almighty power of God, he has great hope and great confidence in what the future will hold. And consider a couple of things here about this verse. First, when God shows himself in judgment or in defense of his people, if they're smart, their enemies have no choice but to turn back to retreat. And yet, when an enemy retreats, they think they will be safe, don't they? They're retreating back the way they came. And yet, secondly, see that though they, retreat, they would retreat, it would still be to their ruin. That's what David's saying here, because of the presence of the Lord. Though they set their feet to flight, they would still fall and fail just as if they had remained to fight. Their doom would still be sure. David could not only say this from God's promises in Scripture, but also from the place of experience. What had God done for David in his divine judgment? Well, David recounts five things in verses 4 and 5. Look at this. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You, notice, have blotted out their name forever and ever. Five great and mighty acts and works of God. If you recall, what did David beseech the Lord to do in Psalm 7? In verse 8, he said, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. In verse 11, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. In verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. We see some of the connections and similarities in these beginning verses with that psalm, don't we? And so in verses 4 and 5, David really proclaims two big messages here, doesn't he? First, he says, Lord, I recognize and praise you for standing with me in your righteous judgment. But also, secondly, Lord, I know that you have made your displeasure of the wicked nations clear. The wicked are marked for destruction, and you have brought both temporal judgments against them, 
and you have also buried their fame and honor in their exploits so that they will be remembered no more. Blot it out. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, we read this. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Rots, decays, goes away, it's no more. Remember what God said to Moses in response to the sin of Israel at Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. What was God saying that he desired to do at that point? To destroy them, blot out their name from under heaven. Remember no more. But see the great contrast here in the people's name being blotted out, yet what is true in verse 2? God's name will be praised forever. God's name will be praised forever. There is a great contrast here. And David then turns and speaks to his enemies, beginning in verse 6, when he says, O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. Again, memory, names, blotting out, perishing. His enemies needed to know that their destruction was just. It was carried out by the righteous and just God. God reckoned with them for all of the evil that they had done against his people. And remember here specifically that the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, and the Syrians had come against Israel when they had no king to fight for them. And these enemy nations had destroyed their cities and did all that they could to make the, the memory of them perish in their destruction. And yet, though they destroyed many cities and wiped out many people, look at verse 7. There is a glorious but. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. Important. He has prepared his throne for for judgment. Beloved, indeed, the Lord abides forever. Amen. And though there is nothing permanent on this earth, God is unchanging and everlasting in his being and in his power and in his perfection. And the eternal God has prepared or literally established his throne for judgment. If you notice Psalm 29, verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Not many of us 
think about that aspect when we think about the flood. We know of God's power and his work in the flood. But we also need to remember where he was in his special presence. He was seated enthroned at the flood. Sovereign dominion, sovereign rule and authority in that act of judgment. And yet the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And wonderfully, he has done so in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 93, verse 2, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. In other words, there is never a time when God has not been on his throne. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Ruling, reigning, sovereign over all. You know, we are wonderfully pointed to Christ here in Psalm 9. Seated on his throne, Jesus rules the world, and he will soon bring ultimate and final judgment against it from the same throne. This is a tremendous terror for his enemies, beloved, and a tremendous comfort for his church. It's both a terror and a comfort, depending on who you are. And how will he judge? Look at verse 8 of Psalm 9. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgments for the peoples in uprightness. So as David has pressed before, the Lord judges all things rightly and righteously. We've, we've seen this message before in the Psalms. But here it's pressed, even again and again. May we never forget this. May we see these unique aspects and these facets in which David further paints in this picture of the righteous judgment of the living God. The God who endures forever is our everlasting strength and protection. It's he who judges the world who will be sure to judge for us when we are hurt and distressed. And this is what we see in verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. What a marvelous picture of the work of God. There is nothing that our God doesn't and can't do. And he deserves all the praise for it, as David opened the psalm. Wholehearted praise for every piece of his work here. All of it marvelous. He is the right object of our praise. He is righteous in all of his judgments, and he will be our sure refuge. He is both judge and protector. God's timing may be different than ours in terms of when he delivers and avenges, but, he will, but we continue to walk by faith. We must do that. Trusting him and running to him as our high place, as our high tower, as our retreat, and our stronghold. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. 
And because this is true, what does David also proclaim in verse 10? And those who know your name, again, see the name of the Lord again. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Beloved, those who experientially know Christ, and those who are known by him, as we know him and we know his name, we are those who have been saved by him. We are those whose hearts have been changed and faith given. We are those whose trust is well and firmly placed in Him. And we have great confidence and peace that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He said as much, very clearly in the Scriptures, that will never happen. David even speaks to this here, doesn't he? For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I'll leave you with this. Wholehearted praise is essential for you and for me and for all of God's people. And so like David, is this your heart's cry to the Lord? Will you rise up and praise Him with your whole heart? And importantly, as you rise up in such full doxological praise, also be ready to walk out in proclamation. Be prepared to tell, to declare the marvelous works of the Lord. Are indeed the works of God marvelous to you? It's another good question to ask. Do you know his works? And even those that he has revealed to you in the pages of Scripture, do you marvel at them? Are they wonderful in your eyes? And as they are, beloved, go tell of them. Indeed, the time is now, beloved. We are on borrowed time. We walk day by day. We make our plans. We live our lives. But we are on borrowed time. We don't know if the Lord has this evening, tonight, tomorrow morning set for us. And so proclamation, praise, telling is important now. Remember this each and every day. But also, Do you know and live in light of Christ being both the righteous judge and your protector? Do you recognize and praise him for the judgment that he has rendered along with that which is to come? And also, who or what do you run to as your high ground and stronghold? For if it isn't Jesus, then you need to rethink things. If it isn't Jesus, you're going to the wrong place. You're going to the wrong person. He is the one who is our refuge. He is the one that gives us true solace. 
He is our help in trouble. And so flee to Jesus if you're in trouble, knowing that Jesus has never, ever abandoned anyone who has sought him, and he never will. Satan will try to tell you the opposite, and you don't need to believe him. In fact, you must not. Don't believe a word of that. He will never leave you, and he has never forsaken anyone who has sought him. See that past tense there that's helpful. It's not only that he will never forsake, but part of the confidence and the comfort that we have in Christ is that he has never forsaken as well. All who have sought him have been safe in Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us yet again in these words, for telling us your mighty works that we would have the heart and passion not only to praise you but to tell others. Indeed, Lord, help us in both of these things. Help us to do both of these things wholeheartedly and passionately, Lord, from the depth of our heart, from the desire of our heart, and where, Lord, we falter and we have... uh, and we fail in this regard, and we're half-hearted in any of this, oh Lord, help us, we pray. Remove what needs to be gone, and fill us with joy in Christ. Lord, that is our heart's desire. We thank you that you do protect us, you defend us, you stand for us in our cause. O Lord, as we are often in trouble, help us. Help us see you as the first place we go and that we actually do it and that we stay there knowing that we are safe in you. We praise you for these things. Holy Spirit, bring them about in our lives, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.